Hello, everybody, and welcome to Screen Club. My name is Sarah Naraki. I'm the director of Wealthy Theater, uh, and I am joined today by Virginia and Caleb. How's it going, guys? Great. You know, just living in a nightmare that we are collectively a part of. And but other than that, you know, great. That's why we got to talk about a spooky show, right? <laughs> um, so, well... Let's uh, let's just kind of go around the table. I already said I'm I'm the director of Wealthy Theater, but also a co-founder of Cinema Lab. Um, Virginia is actually the person behind Screen Club. So tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're here today. Yeah. So my name is, as you can tell in this little bubble here, Virginia Anzen Gruber. Um, I founded Screen Club in 2019 um, in partnership with Grand Rapids Community Media Center and Wealthy Theater um, as an effort to just sort of combine some of the things that I love, talking and television. Um, But really it was born out of uh, a similar um, ethos that Cinema Lab shares, um, which is uh, we can really learn a lot from the stories that shape us. And um, television is that modern medium that we have all grown up with and has really, um, you know, advanced to a point where the nuances and the detail and intention put into television are just as impactful and powerful, um, if not more so than film. Um, And the sort of um, the binge watch uh, modality with which we all kind of now consume television has really um, become a new way for us to learn and absorb and um, kind of process more about what it is to be human. So I really enjoy the sort of um, sociological aspects of this. And also, it's just really fun to talk about, you know, how hot Sarah Paulson is. So (laughs) I'm really excited to be here. And um, I'm excited that we're picking like a spooky thing. It's this year has felt weird. I'm sure we all can say that until we run out of breath. But it's nice to sort of um, immerse ourselves a little bit more into the Halloween season, especially in a time where it feels like, um, you know, holidays have been a little amorphous this year. Um, and this is a really moody, fun, um, spooky show. So I'm excited to talk about it. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be here for this discussion. Um, we also have with us Caleb Dillon, who you can see from his lower third is also from Wealthy Theater. So welcome, Caleb. Tell us why you're uh, being dragged into this today. Thanks. Uh, oh, hold on. I am. Uh, my name is Caleb Dillon. I'm the front of house manager at Wealthy Theater. Uh, I like weird things. I like wacky things. I like wild things, and uh, I especially like things that are are colored very dramatically. So that's why I am participating today, and I'm going to try to be as nice as possible when discuss <laughs> when discussing this show. Awesome. Well, thank you as well for taking the time to watch all eight episodes completely. Sure. I appreciate it. Um, and so as we've said in the event description and all that, that this is supposed to be an interactive discussion. Normally we would hold screen club here at Wealthy Theater so that you could do kind of the book club style, you know, put your hand up and tell us what you think. Doesn't matter if you love it, hate it, anything in between. Um, but we really want to encourage folks to comment and you can comment if you're watching on YouTube I think you just have to be signed in. You can comment. If you're on Facebook, you can comment there, and we'll see these things pop up. So we would be happy to take questions and thoughts from the audience. 
Um, so we're going to be going till about 7 o'clock today. We've got a bunch of questions, and I think that we might be short on time. I've got so much that I want to pick apart with the show, but why don't we start with the, uh, the elephant in the room question? And Caleb, I'm going to ask you first. I'm also okay. going to apologize in advance if you guys hear thunder. I specifically asked nature to like make it spooky outside for this, so that's what that is. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, the big question of the night. Caleb, did you love it? Or hate it. Listen, I <laughs> didn't. I didn't hate it. Okay, I did not hate it. Um, I found a lot to enjoy about it. I don't know that I could recommend it, um, but you know, there were. Um, there's a lot to look at. It's certainly one of the most stylish things I've seen in a while. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's seven to ten points that I could bring up that are great things about it. Uh, it was almost worth watching just for Sarah Paulson, honestly. And I really hadn't seen her in much of anything before this. Um, I guess I would say that uh, this being my first Ryan Murphy joint, uh, it will also be my last. Um, it was exactly what I expected it to be, but I don't mean that as such a horrible insult that it sounds like so okay all right lots of good stuff cool cool virginia what about you love it hate it something in between so i don't have as dramatic of lighting to sort of set the mood for my takeaway but we'll um, fix it in post don't worry <laughs> yeah okay good. <laughs> um so i kind of am in the middle i think i i feel medium about it which as we all know the opposite of love is not hate it is actually apathy um and so i think there's a part of the story as a whole that i am the greater question for me is why i guess did we need the backstory of this character um and you sarah had made a great point in um sort of some of our pre-show notes about um i think npr uh had sort of talked about it and i'm going to be paraphrasing but basically like nurse ratchet as we know her in one flew over the cuckoo's nest is just a, a kind of representation of um like a, a someone who is believes kind of in the the process of the government and and sort of what uh, what, what is i'm just going to pull it up um she represents an inhuman and inhumane society and it's crushing of the individual so she's not meant to be uh, thought of as a realistic or nuanced person. And so if we're working off of that theory or that takeaway, the idea that we're trying to humanize someone that in that film originally was such a dehumanizing character, not just dehumanized, but dehumanizing in, in the action she took um, to the patients and everything. It was an interesting leap for me, especially now, currently, to sort of be trying to scratch below the surface to maybe see the you know the the damaged baby ratchet underneath you know and i i will say and i've been saying this a lot in for for all those hot fans that are following me on social media um i've been having a hard time lately consuming media that maybe in the past I would have found entertaining, but with our current state of the world, I now find very irritating to the point that even earlier today, um, I woke up on the holiday 
day I have the day off uh, and this was just hanging out with my husband and my son and we were watching Casino Royale which was like a 007 movie I say that with a question because I don't it is but I you know um, and I hadn't really seen it all in one shot I realized I had never really just sat down and watched it and I caught myself being like literally saying out loud this movie is so stressful why are they always chasing each other? And why is this poker game days long? I just, where I might have normally, when it came out in 2006, I'm sure my takeaway would have been much more different. And now I'm sort of very aware of the nuances that we all have and on a larger scale, how we're trying to um, governing bodies, larger factions are trying to both humanize and dehumanize things quite regularly and so it was just a really interesting choice for you know mr murphy to sort of hone in on somebody that i don't know necessarily needed the illumination that being said um caleb i'm personally offended you've never seen more of sarah paulson's work uh she's i'm offended myself i mean she's a gift to the world but if you're gonna watch anything if you decide to tip your to like toe back into the murphy waters might i suggest Mm -hmm. American Horror Story season three, which is Coven. Sarah Paulson will forever be my supreme. People watching this who have seen the show know what I mean. Um, she, there's something about her as a person, her as an actor, that is so intriguing to me that similarly, I was finding myself um, watching it for her, right? Not necessarily mm-hmm. for the story at large, but I was intrigued and enjoyed her performance. Um, mm-hmm. But who? What a there's there's a lot of brutal brutal stuff in the show. So there, there's kind of those moments where you're just sort of like, what? Why are they all being mean to each other? Like that's that's a lot of my takeaway right now. So to back it up to your original point um, of did Nurse Ratched the character that we know from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? Did she need a backstory? Caleb, what do you think about that question? Nope. <laughs> uh, but I'm I'm unnecessarily harsh on all unnecessary backstories, which we just keep doing more and more as a society. You got to know the origin story of every villain, and you got to know the the everything about every background character, and um, it really kind of ruins a lot of stuff for me personally, where I would have enjoyed the mystery a lot more, um, especially with a character like that. It was one of my first uh, obstacles to get over with the show, honestly, because for the first couple episodes, I'm kind of just like sitting back. I'm like, all right, Nurse Ratchet, what do you got? One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Sure, I've seen it. But I had to like just stop thinking about that and just think of it like, what if this was a, just a brand new show mm-hmm. that was a new character that had no ties to any other, uh, you know, film or anything else? And but then it al- always just makes me wonder, well, why didn't you just do that? If it was called literally just a different name and it was the story of this this nurse and, you know, uh, I think the only reason is because it's like, well, it sells because it's got the name recognition um, and people go, oh, yeah, right. You know, like, how does she become that? We'll, we'll see how she becomes that throughout the course of this. Um, and speaking of name recognition, I do want to ask you guys if you think that this show would have been greenlit 
maybe about 10 years ago before the popularization of the term ratchet. Oh. You know, I thought about Do that. You, like, it came to mind when I, <laughs> even when I'd like go to type the the word, it, it popped uh -huh. up. But I mean, yeah. it's a stretch. I'm, I think I'm I think that's semi serious, how, but yeah, know. no, I think subconsciously, I think that does kind of get into a younger demographic that might not be as familiar with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest as our generation would be. Sure. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I think that's a valid point, Virginia. What do you think? I'm sure, yeah, that there's a bit of like a subconscious, you know, uh, element to it. But I also think similarly, like to your point, Caleb, I don't, you know, that coupled with the, the Ryan Murphy kind of evolution of Glee to American Horror Story to Feud to Ratchet to all of these kind of things, you know, he just did Hollywood, you know, that um, the buy-in to his stylistic kind of canon on top of the name i'm sure mm -hmm. that there was a little bit of a play in that but and and i mentioned this before i have i have watched most of the series so if this has happened and and i missed it please let me know but like i think it would have been more of a play if they would have kind of laid in some like modern music you know kind of like with a knight's tale right. and stuff where they would have if they would have laid in some like hardcore rap tunes or hip-hop music you know maybe that i would have bought into that a little bit more but because it seems to stay so heavy in the period that it was representing um i think maybe just a, a happy coincidence but probably did really help with the marketing inherent you know because mm -hmm. it's a one word title for a show which is again if you have no context to what the series is you know i was talking to my sister before i hopped on and she's a nurse and she was like oh right that's the one with like the scary nurse right and i was like yeah right. yeah um but she hadn't seen the original movie either so mm -hmm. um i don't know if the show would I, I think about it that's a really good question because i don't know if the show would have gotten greenlit without the ryan murphy presence or um just kind of it feeling a part of this like dynastic body of work I don't know if it would have just solo style gotten greenlit you know even five years ago like because it, it it is a very it's a brutal show you right. know it's a brutal intense show so I don't know if the conditioning that American Horror Story has done for us as an audience kind of helped maybe pave the way a little bit um mm -hmm. But yeah, it, again, it's uh, that's for some reason this year that has been the like at the forefront of my brain for so many of these things that we watch is just sort of the time and place of which they exist and how would it have been different, um, you know, three, five, ten years ago, ten right. months ago at this point, you know, how mm -hmm. would it have been different? So. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like we are getting close to spoiler territory oh. so i'm just gonna go ahead and oh, pop yeah. that up there because my next oh, yeah. line of questions i think inevitably we're going to be spoiling stuff so if you haven't watched the show and you want to then you're going to want to turn this off and don't worry it's going to be archived on our youtube channel um it should be still on the wealthy theater facebook page too we'll re-air it on grtv as well but I'm going to go ahead and say it now so we don't get anyone too mad um, of spoiling stuff. But yes, spoilers are coming. The entire show is going to be spoiled. So, um, okay, the one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Clearly, this is not a good, like, connection. This backstory doesn't quite fit 
her character in the original movie. I think Caleb's point is exactly what I was thinking when I got into it past the pilot of, I'm just going to watch this as its own thing. I think it's a like taking a character like this and writing a backstory for them is a really cool writing exercise, you know, for a screenwriter or even just writing fiction. Um, should it have made it to the big screen? You know, I, I thought it was interesting. Like I don't hate that I watched it or that it exists. I don't necessarily love it, but I really, really appreciate it. So I think it was a cool experiment, I suppose. But yes, if you were going to connect Ratched with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, it kind of messes up that character. Um, but since it is connected, I'm curious what you guys think. And Virginia, I'll toss this to you first. Do you have any theory on how it's going to come full circle to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? Or are we just totally going to be dodging that story? Well, it's so interesting because so much of this season has really hit on her coming to terms with her own self, right? Um, in part with her relationship with Cynthia Nixon's character, but also just, I think, herself as a, a professional woman. And then there's the whole, the whole kind of um, uh, driving story with her wanting to be near her brother, you know, her adopted brother. So it's, it's, I'd be interested to see how they do it, but I feel like it will um, come with a, a lot more trauma that she will have to kind of endure um, to sort of get to where she's at when we see her in Love Over the Cuckoo's Nest. But honestly, I feel like the the Judy Davis character sort of um, that monologue she has after the doctor is is out of the picture about sort of how they're going to run the hospital. I'm par- again, I'm par- but like how they're now the ones running the hospital and, and it kind of, it, to me, that character, that Judy Davis character weirdly feels almost more like it could spiritually be connected to who Ratchet becomes than actually Ratchet herself. And I don't know if anybody That's exactly else, what I thought. Yeah. Like I literally was like, Oh, this makes more sense. I could yeah. see because we see her being like heartbroken by this doctor. She's like humiliated by him at the dance. You know, there are all these more classically um, traumatic things that we would know from other stories. Right. That, that I could kind of pair and see her, becoming so wounded that the only way she can do it is to to harden herself you know but it it was really interesting it did not feel like we were gonna see and it ended so abruptly with her like on the phone like brother i'm gonna get you or whatever it just felt very far from where we see her in one flew over the cuckoo's nest that being said i will be interested to see what the next eight episodes because i think it was always intended to be like two seasons so i'm interested to see what the those threads are in season two and and sort of how far they're going to be stretched because we kind of at the end of the season we end with her feeling kind of calm from what i can you know she's with her her girl and she's she's what in italy or something she's like on some sort of countryside like they're just chilling they're in mexico mexico sorry Mm -hmm. um and her you know her brother calls and then that's the sort of like that final note um so i'd be really interested but yeah for me it was more of the judy davis character that i was like this makes more sense um and i weirdly didn't even put it together until i (laughs) we were like sitting here right now And just uh, for anyone watching, Judy Davis is uh, Nurse Betty Bucket here that you can see on the right. 
um, which we're going to come back to this particular scene in a little bit. But (laughs) yeah, I had that same thought that um, Betty Bucket gives off more of that like soulless, robotic kind of vibe of the classic Nurse Ratchet that we know from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. But I mean, aesthetically, Sarah Paulson seems to match the original character more visually. You know, I, I think that it would be quite a stretch to say that Betty's character arc actually ends up being the nurse ratchet we know. Caleb, what do you think about that? Um, I That's one of the things that I enjoyed the most about the show, actually, was the my, expect, my expectations were really subverted by um, Mildred's character from the beginning of the show to the end. You'd think that the way that they're going to do this is they're going to start with her being more of a human-feeling character and then gradually harden her and then at the end of the season, it's like, oh, okay, now she's ratchet, you know, like she's mm-hmm. that like stone character. But actually, it was completely opposite. She starts in the first episode coming in like this Terminator, just taking control and being so icy and so unfeeling. And then I think it wasn't until really the, the maybe the sixth or seventh episode where she had a couple of real emotional breakdowns. And I went, oh, wow, they're doing this in reverse so maybe it's a way to keep people watching too beyond that first season to say okay well so she turned into more of a a human being so what the heck happened between this point and then one flew over the cuckoo's nest um if i can add to that i actually i just had a a pal text me a question because she's watching and her her friend so this is a question from marta um, and, and she asked a, a, a good question about the original novel and movie. If it's fair for Ratchet to be considered a villain when she was really a woman in a working environment where she had little control and ends up getting very hurt. So in this moment where we're talking about her, I, I would be interested to, to like, do we consider her a villain? Do you guys think? It's one of the things that hasn't aged really super well about the 1975 film um i remember the first time i saw it as like a young teenager uh i thought it was great i was fully on the the side of uh, mcmurphy and you know hated ratchet and it was great he was having you know he's having so much fun with all the other um you know uh all the people in the hospital and all the patients and uh, you know just like really injecting some life into it and she was this like life-killing presence but i think it's one of those things that you watch it now and it's like well she's definitely cold and she's definitely stern and she does not um favor the individual or anything but at the same time like he's not messing around with it's not like this is an animal house like these are psychiatric patients that need to be treated with care and uh we should probably not even talk about the reason he's in the psychiatric ward in the first place, because that's extremely problematic. Um, but yeah, she's definitely just doing her job. She's, I don't know that I'd call her a monster looking back on it now, you know, she's definitely a tough cookie, but. <laughs> uh, well, cause I think there's a part of what this show, this particular ratchet show is trying to do that is like, humanizing her intentions right like aside Mm -hmm. from her boiling that dude alive which was like the wildest scene for me when he like walked out into the hallway with his skin falling out that was too much for me but 
I, I think what their their intent as I can see it is to kind of show like she does kind of think that this like lobotomy might help some you know what I mean obviously there's there's parts of it that are much more self-serving and she's just trying to protect herself and stuff but especially in her relationship with the Cynthia Nixon character you know it seems like yeah the, the, the intent is to nuance her the intent is to humanize her in a way where the film it felt I don't know again I feel like it's been a while since I've seen it but that was I think the intent was like you would be on the side of the Jack Nicholson character and not her and mm-hmm. and thinking about the idea of how difficult a job like that would be you know what you're up against uh, uh, versus like what you're tasked to do which is keep these people as healthy and safe as they can be um you know, there was a lot of those scenes where she was in the the surgery opera room, you know, where there's like um, those like raised seats and you, they, they would like zoom in on her face while she was like watching the doctor do the procedure. And it I never it was never like malice or menacing. It was genuinely it, it for me. It read as like curiosity. I don't know. It's so interesting. It's such an interesting um character to try to humanize again i keep going back to this but yeah i don't know if i'd call her a villain either we do need to remind ourselves though because i kept thinking about this throughout that she hasn't actually according to the show anyway she hasn't actually paid her dues or gone to medical school or anything she faked her way into the army being a nurse Mm -hmm. and then she faked her way into this hospital being a nurse so we i don't think we should get like too sympathetic to her also but wasn't it because she was trying to get to be with her brother right yeah but i mean it wasn't even that like it's the first time you see a flashback to her in the war she's a nurse in the army but then later she reveals that she just kind of lied her way into that position also so you know what i mean and we actually have a follow-up from marta let me pull it up here oh yay um, in with the follow up, doesn't the show in humanizing her disenfranchise her by taking away her nursing degree too? So thoughts on that? I don't remember if she really has a nursing degree. I guess I didn't get that impression. Does Do she? Know for she sure? maybe does in the original novel. I think that that's maybe what. Uh, oh yeah. Marta was saying. Oh, I um, see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe. I mean. I think part of it is like also just thinking about the idea that one could like lie their way into being a nurse is really funny to me because like, Oh, Oh, the sixties. Like, um, but, um, yeah, maybe that, that might be a way of, of doing it because it's showing her trying to kind of, um, achieve her goal of being back with her brother against all personal costs. Right. Even, kind of throwing away any sort of actual um, goals she might have had. But again, I feel like I didn't, maybe maybe I missed some key scenes and stuff like that. I just remember, well, isn't the intent that she was like trying to save her brother, right? Because mm-hmm. he got like, okay. Um, that to me almost feels like the more humanizing point was that she was willing to do whatever she needed to do to kind of help him. Um 
but interesting yeah that they that they chose to make it um that she faked her way in because i guess that that sounds like it's in opposition to how she is portrayed in the novel well and i think as far as not bringing in uh the original movie or novel but just specifically with the show i think uh very clearly the story has a lot of issues with it i think that it needed a couple of passes especially with the character development um because you're establishing nurse ratchet who we understand from you know the previous source is supposed to be this villain which i think i side with what caleb's saying of like when i originally watched it of course like she comes off as the protagonist and so i have to hate her but now you know being through more of life and experiences i do look at it like wow i i have been in that position where you have to like write, lay down the rules and you know do that kind of thing so i don't think she's a villain but in this show we go into it with that kind of understanding of who she is and yes there are some humanizing elements that come out but i think that that kind of makes the story and her character arc very convoluted of is she an anti-hero? Is she, like, what even is she as a character? And I think we're, again, we're coming into it thinking and assuming she's a villain, but if I can comment on that with this show specifically, I think it's very problematic in that we are still vilifying mental illnesses and non-heterosexual people because, you know, they're treating patients with who have lesbianism, you know what I mean? And uh, spoiler alert again, Ratched comes out as a lesbian in this show. And then as far as mental illness, I mean, clearly she's suffering with uh, PTSD from a horrific childhood trauma. And I think you could attribute a lot of her decisions and her personality to a trauma that she hasn't healed from yet. And so, um, you know, trying to say like her... I want to say it like her grounds for decision making, her motivation that's based off of like this horrific experience we are categorizing as like evil intentions of what she's doing. You know what I mean? I think it's just like vilifying all the wrong stuff. And it, it it's kind of surprising that Ryan Murphy went that way with the story, especially since the last thing he did, I believe, was Hollywood. Mm-hmm. which was supposed to be kind of spinning the story of, you know, the golden age of Hollywood. And what if it pivoted, spoiler for that show too, what if it pivoted to be more accepting as far as like LGBTQ and people of color and that sort of thing? So I I don't know, I was kind of turned off by that, that they're still leaning into some old habits of vilifying things like that. Do you um, think that his intention was to have it come across as vilifying or more of justification isn't the right word that I want, but it's like the closest thing that I can find right now. Do you think it was more of um, intended to sort of show to humanize her and and sort of give that connective tissue of the why she would make decisions like that, where maybe sometimes we just see sort of one note villains that kind of just act without any sort of, um, known intention behind it to the audience because I I almost wonder if in that opposite way that wasn't the intention it's just that the execution was so middling that that's how it ends up coming across to the audience right is that it is sort of a a justification is the best word that I can think Mm -hmm. of right now of her sort of becoming this 
But again, she doesn't even land to that really at the yeah, end of yeah. the series. So right. any of what we've like talked about, it it all feels like half of whatever this story is supposed to become. Mm-hmm. And so I would, be, again, I'm really interested, I guess, to see where they will go with it and building on sort of what we've seen for season one. That being said, though, some of these... Some of these uh, backstory scenes, man, like were so heavy handed. And Sarah, I, I, you're moderating and I keep trying to like ask you questions. Go so for I'm it. Sorry, but you, you have the masters in screenwriting. So you're the oh, one boy. to ask. Like, what was with all of the like, hey, you just saw the puppet show and now we're going to go tell you about the thing that you just oh, saw on the puppet show. Hey. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that was really noticeable. I thought that the, that was a great scene, but then like immediately after, she just like recounts the whole thing. It's like, yeah, we just like, saw yeah, it. we just saw it. Like, <laughs> it was bro, too, we were there. It was too reminiscent of um, the fourth book of Harry Potter, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, because the same thing happened there. Of like same kind of puppet show in that one, right? Oh, oh God, <laughs> I don't know what kind of Harry Potter you're reading, but no. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's like that same thing of like, okay, this happened. Now I got to go talk to somebody else and I'm just going to say the whole thing. You can paraphrase it. And I mean, you could have saved what, like probably three pages of writing in there, which just writing one page of a script can be excruciatingly, uh, I don't know, it's time consuming and exhausting. And so I'm seeing it as like probably three to five pages of her just recounting the story. I'm like, why? You don't need to. Yeah. We sat through it and you know, show, don't tell. We don't need that exposition. We have already seen it in a way that is very spoon fed too. you know, it's mm-hmm. like a, a play by play of the whole thing that happened with their childhood. And I don't think that that was totally necessary either. I think that we can, uh, you know, understand kind of the subtext of like, oh, the puppet starts going in this direction. We know where that story is going to go. You know what I mean? Like, we don't need all the details of it. And I feel like that kind of gets to um, uh, something that I bumped on with this as well as, and I think this kind of ties into what um, Virginia was getting at earlier of like, is this just graphic content and graphic stories for the sake of exploitation? Is that what it is? Like, did we need to go that deep with the puppet show? Did Did we need to show, like... I don't know. What what did you guys think? Do you feel like some of that stuff was just gratuitous and exploitation or do you think it really added to the show? Uh, yes, to the first thing. <laughs> I think that, um, and I apologize for my lack of real experience with Ryan Murphy, but I think that one of the reasons he is Ryan Murphy is because he is the one who delivers those shocks and, and people who especially like to binge watch new shows like that kind of, okay, exposition, exposition, talking, and then like, oh my God, what was that? You know, like, uh, you know, screaming at the TV. You know, I can't believe I just watched that. It's, it's almost like shocks for people who would never willingly go into a horror movie, but it's like, oops, surprise, it's in your show. And like, you just, you know, we, we gotcha, which is really entertaining and fun. Um, but I don't know that it ends up, being substance wise something that we all necessarily need either you know i mean it's 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 easy to do that mm-hmm. it's easy to like oh a guy like cut off his arms and legs let's show it cool but like of course you show it like it's so obvious like that's not i don't feel like that's skillful 
um, execution, no pun intended. Well, I would agree. And a lot of times I, I think that some of the, the scarier um, uh, delivery of scenes, you know, one one of the films that we've talked about a lot in regards to Cinema Lab lately is The Witch. And like one of the, the more strong points about that movie in particular is like, you know, you don't see Black Phillip till the very end. You don't know that it's real until the very end of that movie. So part of the journey that you go on as an audience member is is living almost vicariously through that first person um, character in the film to be like, oh, well, wh- what is happening? And, and we are. Here. And so, so much of this just being like, no, no, no. In case you missed it the first time, this is what happened to her. And it was very, you know, and they really laid the groundwork for being heavy handed in this particular series in like scene four of episode one, when she goes to like bang that dude in her hotel room and is like, has like the weirdest like role play kind of things that she wants to get into and you're you kind of immediately are like oh god okay this is where we're this is where we're going with this and as i like that scene (laughs) that was one of the first scenes i actually liked where i was like oh cool yeah weird this is weird Uh and like i think too the the choice of scene partner too i i'm blanking on that actor's name but he i feel like always plays kind of like these darker characters as well um it kind of set me up emotionally to be like, okay, this is where we're at tonally. We're going to be talking a lot about, there's going to be a lot of like when I was a kid stories. And I admittedly have not watched every Ryan Murphy iteration of everything. Um, but I think to your point, Caleb, there is a lot of that gratuitous violence in American Horror Story. I think in some of the earlier seasons, it was a lot more reserved um, which is why I, I keep going back to Coven, which is like the third season of American Horror Story, kind of being my favorite um, for for many reasons. But um, a lot of it, when they chose to do those more explicit scenes, it felt peppered in to sort of advance the story. It felt purposeful instead of just like exploitative, where here even, you know, I keep going back to that burned off skin scene and it was just like what are we why couldn't you have just like killed him with like a you know scalpel to the neck did you have to boil him alive like what we're going to these real extremes here and to that point i do think that that was a callback to the film right they're trying to mirror um that particular there's like the tubs in the warm baths in the movie uh, Once Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So I think it was trying to kind of call back to that, but it, it felt unnecessary at some points. And I, not to contextualize this as like the only way that one could make a turn, but since I have become a parent in the last year, things hit differently for me now. And so part of it is just like, damn, if you're going to kill him, just kill him the way that you would like kill a a fly or something quick. You're not trying to cause pain to a per, you know, why are we boiling people? Like, that's what I just keep coming back. Why are we boiling? boiling 2020. Why are we boiling? That's the question of the night. You know? And so that's just, I, I, I would definitely say that sometimes it feels unnecessarily gratuitous. But and so a point that you made um, earlier with, I think you said American Horror Story of peppering it in for the sake of like propelling the story forward. 
I'm all for that. I'm not sitting here trying to be a prude saying I don't like horror because I love Ari Aster. I love Lars von Trier. I love some of those really nasty, you can probably only watch it one time in your life kind of movies. And I'm all for it, but my problem is, I think, in exactly that, that it's not propelling the story forward. And, I mean, anyone who's in any, well, any aspect of filmmaking, you understand, like, how every shot, every beat, every word on with a script, everything is, like, it's precious, you know? If you're shooting on film, like shooting with 16 millimeter, I remember my teacher said, okay, when you start rolling and you hear it, it's, one dollar, two dollar, three dollar, four. You know, mm-hmm. you like you don't want to waste any time. And I think that's my problem is like, you could have taken a big chunk out of retelling the puppet story, or even the actual visual of the puppet story. You could have saved those five ten minutes, and put that towards more character development or something that would like tie some loose ends together. That being said, I think that there are some moments. Um, that do propel the story forward with this like really gratuitous violence that's fantastic like with the lobotomy oh my gosh like just so cringeworthy that you have that pov shot you have the ice pick coming right at your eyeball you know what i mean like there's stuff like that that just gets under your skin almost literally and it does propel the story forward because like in the shot you can just see this cold face You know, there's, like, no emotion to it. She's just very methodical. I got to get this done. This is my mission, and nothing's going to distract me. I I don't care about the fact that I'm about to stab somebody in the brain right now. You know what I mean? And that shot goes back to the nurse ratchet that we knew going into this show. And, like, Mm -hmm. I wanted more of that stuff, but then we stray away. But it kept feeling like it's going, you know, OG, new line. You know what I mean? Like, back and forth. So anyway, my point about the excessive violence is really more so in the vein of you're wasting precious time on screen. Um, well, and also, oh, sorry, you go ahead. Something we need to keep in mind um, is I think it's a real symptom of our times. We all love our new shows that there's, you know, eight or ten episodes and they're an hour long and, you know, 45 minutes long, whatever. Love to binge them. But what you run into a lot of times and what I think this show ran into is a lot of padding because there's a certain order that there's a deal that's made between Netflix and the production company and Ryan Murphy. And you give us eight shows for four. Maybe they mm-hmm. wanted 10 shows and he negotiated down to eight. Cause he's like, I can't do 10 shows. I can only do eight. But in the meantime, he's got to fill up that time. Like he's got to fill up that airtime to that the b side of that though is look at the work that he has to do in season two to connect Mm -hmm. to the character that we know like Mm -hmm. what we kind of started by saying is like you know now there's so many unanswered things that are going to start season two and this character that we know feels so far from this other version of the character that we know that i almost feel like he's made more work for himself in that right like in lengthening things that didn't need to be lengthened and not truncating the story like not in opposition to your point but just to yes and it like i think now there's just more work narratively that has to be done to make the season two a a payoff that would feel not worth it but you know what i mean like it would Mm -hmm. feel um justified in the characterization i guess well my question to you two uh that i was thinking about as I was watching this was would this have been better uh, as a two and a half hour film? 
would this have been better as two two-hour films? And why wasn't it made that way? Um, other than the fact that Ryan Murphy loves TV and TV loves Ryan Murphy and people love eight or ten episode seasons of things. But do you think it would work better as a, a longer film? I think it would have been executed better in the same vein of like storytelling and character development and all that. Yeah. But I think it works well for the platform. Like we've said mm -hmm. many times, this is a binge worthy show and people are looking for shows to binge. And I mean, it's a beautiful show to watch too. So you kind of forgive some of the other flaws of it, but yeah, sure. It would have been better had it been a, a feature film probably could have gotten all this in a two hour, but maybe two movies. What do you think, Virginia? I mean, I would agree, you know, and I think from just a writing standpoint, when you're pressed to, to your point, Caleb, which I think is really actually a super like brilliant observation. It's like when you have all of this real estate to fill, you know, I think the narrative itself maybe becomes a little less uh, of a focal point. And if you were to have a two and a half hour movie and you know, I have to tell this story in two and a half hours and not eight hours, you know, I think you probably, you become a little bit more precious about mm -hmm. what you're willing to keep and what you're wanting to cut. Um, so yeah, I would, I would imagine that it would, would probably have been better. It would have been a bit more just direct and to the point. That being said, again, if the goal is to humanize this person that we know as someone that is fairly dehumanized, um, you probably need a little bit more time than just two and a half hours to mm -hmm. do that. Again, I don't know if it's been executed properly within the eight hours we've seen so far, but I think you would need more, which is why mm -hmm. I think the concept of this lends itself well to, um, to actually having a series because then you get to play around with a little bit more stuff, but you run yeah. the risk of losing the trust of your audience if you don't do it well in round one, which is what I think we're kind of all circling in different ways and not listen, making anything is hard. So I'm not going to ever be like, well, this is terrible. Like, no, like it's not, there are obviously things that could have been better and more well executed. But at the end of the day, I think, um, I don't know. Again, it's like 2020. So I'm just happy that like entertainment people had jobs for a while. Like there's like a part of me that's like, but think of how many people the show employed. It was great, mm -hmm. you know? So I, I, I don't know, but I also don't know if I would have been interested to watch it if it was just a movie and not a Ryan Murphy thing, you know, mm -hmm. again, it goes back to, is the packaging more interesting than the actual content of what's inside the box a little bit. Yeah. It's just um, something interesting to think about. Cause I think that a lot of times we focus on, we assume that the creators are, they have nothing but the best intentions for the creation. But I think that a lot of business and a lot of negotiations and deals are behind a lot of those things too, that we forget like, well, maybe they kind of, said, no, we need eight episodes because we want it to be a, a whole thing that people can watch. We're not going to do it in four episodes. We're not going to do a two hour movie, you know? So. I think that's very accurate. Um, so we only have about 10 minutes left and I want to make sure that we get into some of the aesthetics of this as well. But before we move on, I just want to post this comment, which it's a little bit longer. So I don't know if it's going to like really shrink the text on here, but um, it's from Marta. Uh, yeah, you can see it. Okay. So uh, it's, 
this is an interesting point that Call the Midwife uh, takes place in almost the exact same time period as when Nurse Ratchet is doing her thing. Um, so the question is, do you think in the current climate uh, that the timing of the show was appropriate in that, you know, it's like kind of a bad slant on nurses and mental health care and that sort of thing? Um, it's it's interesting to think of these two at the same time. But, yes, I feel like Nurse Ratched is more of like kind of a negative slant on health care in some regards. But what, what do you guys think about that? So I've seen um, a little bit of like the first season of Call the Midwife and emotionally what I will go back to is a joke by the comedian Ron Funches who talks about how he loves the Great British Baking Show, but the whole punchline of his joke is if we did it in America, it would just be called Murder Cake. (laughs) And I think that aesthetically, right, we're talking about two different cultural um, shows as well. Call the Midwife is like very British. Like, and I love that, but I also think a lot of times the driving force behind British television versus American television is going to be a lot more, I mean, and that show is kind of brutal too, right? Because it does show like real women haven't real, I mean, not really showing like full childbirths, but kind of leans into how hard it was to kind of be pregnant and at that time. So I, I kind of, I think it more aesthetically probably lends itself to just British television versus American television and the fact that American television loves murder cake. Do you know what I mean? We just love somebody boiling somebody. We love it. You know, speak for yourself, Virginia. (laughs) I I hate it, but we like that's that's what drives us. You know, I I love to see that the extremes. Um, Mm -hmm. But that that would be my first response to that question. Yeah. Uh, Caleb, any other thoughts you want to add to that? Um, I mean, the show is set in 1947. I don't know that we should really be pulling too many parallels between now and then, unless we're specifically looking at things like, oh, this thing was going on in 1947. Why are we still dealing with it today? I think those are the things to focus on. But, you know, um, we're not doing lobotomies anymore lobotomies are you kidding me there's no it's not lobotomy i was looking it up but and i can't think of the word but it's something similar but it's like taking a part out but it's not an ice pick in the eyeball it's different and for treating like seizures so Mm. i don't know but i got an ice pick handy in case anyone's having trouble (laughs) Um, okay well let's let's shift because like i said i really want to make sure we get into the aesthetics and there's a lot more that i don't think we're going to be able to get to today um but this show clearly pays homage to uh, Hitchcock quite a bit. And that's one of the things that I really loved about it. And there's some other kind of neat pop culture references in here. But I think I fell in love in the first episode. And this other picture might be in episode two. But um, we get the uh, green hue that comes over on top, which, of course, is a nod to, let me pull it up here, Vertigo, you know. You can't not think about that. And not to say that Ryan Murphy, or sorry, that Hitchcock, like, owns the color green per se, but it's just neat in the context of, like, horror, psychological thriller, that kind of thing, to, like, have a little bit of a nod to it. Um, We also have the color red comes up in the same fashion of, like, the hue kind of being thrown over top of the image. 
This particular shot, I really love it too. I couldn't get like a, you know, a, I couldn't do a screen grab of the video, but the camera is dollying in slowly as he's inhaling. And then as he exhales, it kind of dollies back and it's just, it's so beautiful. I really love mm, it. But yeah. cool. what do you, what do you guys think about the colors? What do you think like this green, what do you think it represents? I mean, we see it pop up a couple of times when Mildred is walking down the hallway as you can see on the right there, um, I believe the first time that we see it come up is that image on the left where the nurse aide is in the bathroom, you know, doing it with this dude when she shouldn't be. What do we think that color green means? I sort of lost track. Uh, the first couple episodes, especially, they make a, a big use of that transition where it's flooded with green or flooded with red. And... Um, I sort of meant to to keep track of those more, and I did not. Uh, I didn't feel like they were employed as much as I thought they would be. Like those first couple episodes, I felt like it was a thing that definitely happened once an episode or twice. And then they sort of stopped doing it halfway through a little bit as much. Um, so I don't know. I also read, um, related to this, I read a thing that someone was commenting on the colors of some of the costumes correlating to certain emotions and representations of their characters as well. Not that I have anything more to say about that, but I thought it was interesting. The, the co right down to the costuming, they that would also indicate something about the person's character. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, like right off the bat, uh, when Mildred arrives, she, she even has that like scarlet letter on her jacket. You have yeah. a, a powerful color of red. You also have her iconic car that she's driving around that matches, you know, the attire. Let me pull up the shot of the uniforms there. So you're kind of setting the stage um, tonally uh, with the color there. Um, but I think as far as, and sorry, I'm going to toggle back to this. As far as the, the greens coming up, I mean, for the shot that's on the right here of her, like, barreling down the hallway and looking really serious and in charge, I kind of took green as, like, envy, power, life, you know, a little bit of greed, but in the sense of, like, power hungry. And she walks in on this girl. I can't remember the nurse aide's name. But, um, you know, when she walks in, like, it, it's green, and I feel like that's kind of where her, like, power hunger ignites right there because that's what she's going to use to get her job, right? Mm -hmm. So this is the girl that she has that meeting with that's like, you're going to hand me your job. I'm going to take this position. I'm, you know, and just like says that how it is. So I think that this color is popping up when it's supposed to represent that of like, you know, she's inhaling this power and this like greed. And it's like her life is just really igniting right there in the best way possible. Um, what about red, though? What do you guys think? Because red wasn't used quite as much, and I was trying to scrub through quickly before uh, we were hopping on tonight. This is the one image I found. I couldn't find another one, but I could have sworn there was one that was on Mildred, but maybe not. But what do we think red is representing in this scene in particular? Uh, so I, and maybe this is completely wrong, but there's almost a sense of like weakness that I see. There's this like, um, 
like he's doing something that's like intentionally hurting himself and almost the the sort of negative effects that that could have on him as like a person like i almost i similarly with the green i was like oh envy and sort of but with the red it almost feels like um like sadness kind of like despair um not necessarily like evil or anything although the doctor wasn't like a great guy um i if it felt more like sadness to me like like um isolation sadness despair and the fact that he is you know just doing drugs so literally and figuratively like hurting himself hurting his career all of these things um maybe just feels like sad sort of just a little bit like self self-harming is kind of the vibe i got from that well, I can tell you that because it's fresh in my mind, I just watched the last episode um, earlier today. And the last instance of the full red wash is when um, Mildred is asking how her brother's execution will go. And I think it's Nurse Bucket is describing um, the scenario. And when Edmund is laying there on the table, they inject him with something, it goes full red and he dies while it's fully red. So that sort of supports what you're saying, Virginia. I don't remember necessarily all of the other instances of it. You could probably do an hour-long seminar just on just the use of color. Well, similarly with the way you were saying about the A on her shirt, Sarah, too, or sort of, you know, it wasn't an A necessarily, but you know. The, the scarlet letter. Yeah, mm -hmm. the, the intentional uses of, of red. Um, you know, I think of red a lot of times too as that like seductive, right? Red light special is like a whole thing, and I, you know, um, but the idea that that kind of is vilified here um, in in within the story, um, even as much as like the motel owner is given her you know, grief at the beginning of, of when we first, you know, you're not going to have any gentlemen visiting are you? being like super weird and like puritanical. I think there's sort of that element of just harm is sort of what I get with the red, but really an intense red like that is never like a, like a calm palette, you know, mm -hmm. there's never any like instances of that, that I've really seen where people are just like, you know, drinking tea yeah, and having like a, a, a nice calm time, you know, it's yeah, always, yeah. it was heightened. Yeah. You know? Right. Well, and we've seen it in like Kill Bill and I know this, the color is kind of thrown off here, but in Kill Bill when she, you know, sees the, the villains, it does this kind of like, um, superimposed image goes red. Um, and then also in Vertigo, you know, there's another pull to that. Here's the opening sequence in red like that. And I think what we're seeing here, I think you guys are pretty spot on in that, like, there's kind of a sense of sadness. I think fear, for sure, a little bit of vice in there, too. Um, not so on the nose of, like, seeing red, per se, but I, I think that there's some, I don't know, secondary meanings to the colors, which is really interesting. Um, okay, I know we're going to go a little over on time here. I hope you guys are all right with that. Oh, no. uh, okay, goodbye. So... <laughs> No, let's do two more hours. Come on. All right. Cool, cool. I'm into it. Um, so in preparing for this discussion, I kind of went back through, you know, I was trying to get some pictures to pull up here, but then also wanted to revisit the beginning of the show. And it's been a little bit since I watched it because I just like plowed through it when it first came out. 
Um, and I remember when I was watching the pilot, I was really confused and I actually had to watch it two times. Like I was going to give up on the show, but you got to always go past the pilot because it's, it's almost always a bumpy intro to the show. It's hard. Mm -hmm. You know, you're trying to lay the groundwork for everything. And so going back through it and rewatching the beginning, I feel like I have a much, much greater appreciation for the whole setup with it. And I totally forgot that it opens with a church service. Like, I remember, of course, the whole thing with a priest, but this is the opening shot. Sorry, it's not, it's kind of cropping a little weird there. But so we have a crucifix, which is at the end of the hallway. And interestingly enough, that um, single point perspective, the vanishing point is the same as at the end. This is the last shot that we see. But the crucifixion, the image of that, and the voiceover is the priest who, again, spoiler alert, gets killed first. And he's saying, God have mercy on our souls, something kind of to that effect. What do you guys think is the point of opening on a crucifixion? What do you think that represents? Why do we have that to establish the show? Your opening shot is, I mean, that's going to set up the show. Like, it's really important to have something pretty solid, pretty significant. So why do you think he chose that? Yes, so Virginia. I'll, I'll take this one as a, uh, a current agnostic who was raised Southern Baptist. Um, I think anytime there's a, a highlight on the crucifixion of Christ, there's almost always going to be an emphasis on the fact that it was a, a something that was done to him, but that multiple people had to sign off on, right? So if you aren't, if you're not deep within Christian um, lore is the wrong word, but Christian history and, you know, theology, um, there were multiple people that had to basically okay Christ being executed in the way that he was with a crucifixion. And at and the time period, um, crucifixion was actually almost exclusively saved for like violent or extreme criminals. So the people that he was uh, next to, um, I believe, were like basically career criminals. It wasn't like the first choice for a punishment for somebody. Um, but there's also a character in the Bible named Pontius Pilate who basically um, – as the, the, the story is told in the scripture, it basically uh, he washes his hands of it. And so he doesn't necessarily believe that Christ deserves to be crucified, but he also does not really care enough to like rock the boat and or save him or really do anything using any of his power um, to affect change for this individual person. So anytime I really see um, somebody highlighting really Christian iconography like the crucifixion, I always kind of come back to this idea that um, it takes a lot of people to sort of perpetuate um, and or make something like that happen. So for me, there's a real obvious mirror into the, the system as a whole of the hospital sort of not only declining more and more into a lack of proper management and care, but in so many instances, there are people that could have said, no, 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 maybe this isn't like the best way to go. But for various reasons, decide to just kind of push forward and continue on Sometimes they think that maybe they're helping, but a lot of times maybe just because they don't feel like, you know, the first time the Judy Davis character sees the lobotomy, she like throws up 
in the operating room and the doctor like scolds her in front of everyone for like throwing up when that feels like it was a very natural physical and psychological response to seeing something like that. Um, so anytime I kind of see that, I, I go back to this idea of like, it kind of took a village, it took a group, it took multiple people saying, yo, this guy's going to the cross before that happened. And so similarly in this show, I think there could be a really easy parallel to just like um, a group of people kind of have decided that this is how they're going to run this hospital. And this is, these are the procedures that they're going to do regardless of whether or not they're humane or, or actually torture, like they're going to just keep on keeping on because it's easier to like keep your head down and keep going than to try to stand up and make a difference for individual people, I guess. Was that, was that way too Bible kid (laughs) or sorry? (laughs) No, no, I think that's good. So you're looking at it more of what led up to the crucifixion being paralleled to the kind of primitive way that the hospital is running. Is that right? Yes. But also this, this idea that, um, it's not just one person sort of making these choices, you know, it's, it's, it's multiple people have to sign off on it. And that oftentimes I think can be even more arresting, um, than, hmm. Like the idea that one person could save you or or intercede and say, yes, sorry, my glasses have terrible glare. The, the idea that one person could intercede and change something for someone but chooses not to and then it keeps going down the line and more and more people have a chance to intercede but they don't mm-hmm. um, is a very interesting exposition of groupthink kind of, I guess. That's interesting. All right. Caleb, what uh, do you think about it? Well, I don't have much to say about it, but again um, – just having the last episode fresh in my mind or the last two episodes, the final scene of when Edmund is still in the basement prison, the final scene where um, Mildred comes to him and she's planning to take him out to the barn and euthanize him. She definitely speaks the words, either I gave my life for you or I sacrificed my life for you to him. Mm-hmm. So there's got to be something there, especially if that's first episode, last episode. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the way that I took it. Um, I at first I was like, OK, is this foreshadowing all the sins that are going to be laid out in front of us, whether it's something that has happened or somebody that's going to sin in the show and kind of in that like the Catholic guilt and, you know, that sort of thing. Is that what it's representing? Or I think where I'm landing more is Ratched as a martyr. Is she, not to say she is Jesus Christ, you know, but in this that she is making the ultimate sacrifice for her brother. And if you think in regards of like the crucifixion, it's in parallel to her storyline. I don't think so much as like her actions of what she's doing currently within the story of trying to help him out. I don't think that's what like the crucifixion is. I feel like it's everything from her childhood, everything that led up until the story starts of what she's been through. And this journey is like that crucifixion to help somebody else. Um, So that's interesting. I don't think there's necessarily a right answer. I mean, maybe we can get Ryan Murphy on the horn to answer that question, but it's interesting to like, what if he was just like, I don't, I don't know, I just think Jesus is hot, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I just really wanted cool. to show like a shirtless yeah. Jesus, right. you know? <laughs> to each their own. 
But if if we're going with that theory, and again, I'm really sorry that I didn't like crop these pictures properly, but if we're going with the theory of Ratched as the martyr, it's interesting, again, with this um, perspective, you have the like the vanishing point is that singular perspective in the middle, and it's Jesus on the cross versus the very last shot with the vanishing perspective and Ratched is landing there in the middle. I think that you could, you know, pull those two together and make it, you know, a bookended thing. But hey, that's just my uh, my little thought there. Um, yeah. I know that there's a whole lot more that we could get into, and maybe we'll have to do a part two or something. But I think that we covered a lot of ground here, and hopefully, I know we had a couple comments come through. But if you got more comments, let us know. We can continue the conversation online on Facebook. Um, and if you have any suggestions of any shows or movies that you guys, you viewers, want to discuss like this, let us know. I mean, we could nerd out and do every TV show and movie we've ever seen, but we're trying to pick stuff that people would be interested in. Speaking of, our next uh, virtual discussion that the three of us are going to be part of is going to be happening on October 22nd, which is a Thursday, again, at 6 o'clock. We'll be doing it in the same format online that you can comment below with your, your thoughts, your questions, your theories, all that good stuff, and we're talking about The Witch. Um, not really for the faint of heart, but you should probably know that with any A24 horror film. <laughs> but The Witch is really fantastic, and I think it'll be good to get into some really dark, spooky stuff just before Halloween. So mark your calendars. We'll be back for that discussion. Um, any last thoughts, you guys? Last comments? Anything you want to throw in? Uh, go watch any Hitchcock that you haven't seen. Go watch any Brian De Palma that you haven't seen. Go watch any Douglas Cirque movie that you haven't seen. That's all I have to say. Excellent. Virginia, anything from you? I have two thoughts. One, I need to know if Sarah Paulson's agent exclusively gets her roles that are smoking. I've said this multiple times. I really got to get to the bottom of that question because <laughs> I think like the last like half a dozen roles I've seen her in have been just like a chain smoking uh, lady, which I'm all here for, except for that smoking is terrible for you. Um, and then, uh, as an antidote to, um, maybe any of the heaviness that you might feel watching this show, do go watch great British baking show or something mm. equally British with equally low stakes. Because I think right now, um, I don't know, maybe I'm saying this more to myself as well as everybody. If you're feeling like you aren't taking, a lot of joy or being able to consume a lot of the things that you were able to consume just a year ago. Like it's okay. You're not alone. Like we're all processing all of just the day to day life, um, in the best way that we can. And so it's okay. Like if you even haven't seen this show, if you don't want to, you know, that's okay. Like you don't, there are things you can skip if it's just not bringing you joy, if it's not, making you feel balanced during this time. Like it is totally okay to just go watch a bunch of like old Star Trek reruns because they are feel good kind of stuff. So whatever is helping all of us get through is what we should be doing right now. That got very like real life, but that's okay. I can only Ew, make real life. I can only <laughs> make so many Sarah Paulson smoking jokes before I have to just, you know, get real with people. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
All right, you two, thanks again for taking the time to watch the show, to gather your notes, and to be here tonight to talk about this. Um, it's always a pleasure, and I'm really looking forward to talking about The Witch in a week. I don't know, probably Yay. tomorrow. Don't know. Yeah. Does time exist? Time doesn't exist anymore. Not sure. So it's going to be, yeah. Ten days from now is an hour from now. So. Yeah, yeah. So I got to go take a nap. I'll see you guys in an hour. Anyway, cool. thanks so much, viewers. Thank you for tuning in and watching. Until next time, we'll see you. Bye.